This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Christine Hayes, the medical director at the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, talk to us about the upcoming holiday, Halloween Dangers. We'll be right back after these messages. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're talking with Dr. Christine Hayes, who's a board-certified veterinary toxicologist. Dr. Hayes, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm so, glad to be here. thank you. So, first of all, since our audience can't see you and they can only hear you, tell me what all those extra letters behind your name mean. Where did you train? What do you do? Can you give us a little bit of background about you? Yeah. So, I've been with the ASPCA as the um, one of the veterinary toxicologists there uh, for about the last. Oh, Gosh, about the last uh, six years, I've been board certified. Um, prior to that, I actually uh, went to the University of Illinois for veterinary school, and then I started my career in small animal private practice for a couple of years before moving into the toxicology field. When I first started with the Poison Control Center, I was basically just taking phone calls and going through and helping pet owners with their cases. And then I became more interested in furthering my education. So went ahead and became board certified in both uh, veterinary and human toxicology. So there's two different certifications that I've, I've got behind my name there. And do you mind just telling us, is ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, I know it's in Urbana, Illinois, but do you guys actually treat animals or what exactly do you guys do? Give us a little bit of background about how you guys indirectly or directly help our pet owners and our veterinary professionals when it comes to that poison pet. Yeah, so we take phone calls from pet owners and from veterinarians. Uh, We don't actually work directly with the animals, but we do take calls from all across the country and also from Canada as well. We talk animal owners and veterinarians through what signs to be recognizing for an animal that's been poisoned, whether something is poisonous or not, and then we talk through how to treat that poisoning situation as well. So since Halloween is coming up, give me a little bit of information. Do you guys end up seeing a lot of chocolate call spikes or what are the biggest Halloween dangers that pet owners, both dog and cat owners have to be aware of? Yeah. So I'd say that the two biggest ones for Halloween that we would get calls on that about animals getting into would be glow jewelry and chocolate. Certainly it's the right time of year for 
glow jewelry to be very popular as uh, kids are out trick-or-treating and people are doing nighttime activities associated with Halloween. There's usually a lot of glow sticks and glow necklaces and glow bracelets sitting around uh, that animals can take an interest in, and they definitely do so. Chocolate would be probably the second most common one. And again, that ranges with all the little Halloween candies that people get while they're trick-or-treating. Um, a lot of people have Halloween parties, and so there'll be a lot of chocolate-type desserts out there. Um, I'd say number three is probably food, too. Again, associated with Halloween, a lot of people will have celebrations, and so dogs and cats are constantly getting onto the counters and, and scavenging for things that are left behind, little treats that are left behind for them. So those are probably the, the big ones. Um, another one that's maybe not quite as common, but definitely up there on the list would be slime. A lot of people that host Halloween activities will have non-candy favors to give out as well um, due to people with food allergies. And so slime would be something that would be fairly common on that list. So those are probably the, the top ones that we would get calls on, food, low jewelry, chocolate, and slime. So I always joke that the time around Halloween is when dogs crush the spirit of all the little children out there when they eat all the Halloween candy and that little plastic pumpkin that the kids have worked so hard for. Now, in the ER, I end up seeing owners bring a dog that, you know, ate one or two of those little mini chocolate bars. How much chocolate does it actually take for a dog or cat to be poisoned? Do you actually ever see chocolate poisoning in cats? It's rare. It's definitely possible. There are those strange cats out there that will actually eat large amounts of chocolate. But by and far, the majority of our calls and the majority of cases that we see are, are in dogs. It's usually dogs that eat the candies. And just one or two candies in a relatively, even a relatively small sized dog, really shouldn't be too much of a problem. It's when dogs get into the whole pumpkin that we start to see issues. And if it's a smaller dog, it certainly doesn't take as much chocolate to be a problem as, say, for a larger dog. What exactly is the poisonous dose? Do you mind just walking through how much or how many migs per kg a dog needs to eat of theobromine? And then touch on what clinical signs can we see? What's the danger with chocolate poisoning? Yeah, so for the amount of chocolate that it would take to be a problem, again, it definitely depends on the actual type of chocolate. So white chocolate is usually not much of a problem. It's mostly mostly the, the cocoa solids, so the really sweet stuff, and it's got a lot of sugar in it too. So white chocolate doesn't tend to be as much of a problem. The other types of chocolate, so dark chocolate and milk chocolate, those definitely are more of a problem. And dark chocolate is even more of a problem than milk chocolate. Um, as far as dosing goes, when we're talking about chocolate, it would take about usually 20 to 30 migs per kg for us to start seeing some upset stomach. Uh, that can be things like vomiting, decreased appetite. Uh, sometimes we could see some diarrhea developing. And then um, along with that, because of all the sugar that's in the candy too, those animals tend to be very thirsty. They drink a lot of water. They may have to go out to the bathroom and go uh, potty a little bit more frequently as well. Now, when we get into higher doses, so we're talking about the 40 to 60 mg per kg range, that's where we start to see other signs too. And we can see things like them be starting to become very restless. They will start to pace. They'll start to act anxious. Uh, they'll start to pant a lot. They'll kind of look very nervous and almost kind of jittery, kind of like a person who's had a little too much coffee. They're just, they startle a little easily and they just become very restless. And then when we get into higher doses, usually above 60 mg per kg or above, then that's where we start to see them actually having cardiac arrhythmias. Um, they can have irregular heartbeats. They oftentimes will have a rise in their heart rate somewhere in the 40 to 60 mg per kg range. And then 
um, that can escalate to irregular heartbeats, along with the jitteriness and anxiety that sometimes can progress into tremors and seizures if it's left untreated or if a dog ate, ate a, a very, very large amount. Um, I can tell you my own dogs actually did this several years back. I had two dogs that got into uh, about a 10 pound bag of chocolate and I could tell who the culprit was because they were just very anxious. They were looking around, constantly moving, um, really didn't want to settle down at all. And that one ended up vomiting and, and we actually saw a large amount of chocolate coming back up out of that one. All right. So anyone listening, please do not give out white chocolate. Not only does it taste terrible, <laughs> but it doesn't have any theobromine. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> so it's the dose that makes the poison. And again, it's the chemical theobromine that ends up resulting in these clinical signs. I'm also going to tell people about this great app. So ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center actually has a totally free mobile app and it actually has a chocolate calculator in there. So if you have a Labrador retriever or a dog who's a chow hound, if you're worried about poisonous plants, or if you're on a bunch of human prescription medications, this is definitely an app worth checking out. It has information on dogs, cats, horses, and birds, totally free. And again, it has over 300 different hazards. These are common things that we have in the house. It has a lot of information. So again, totally make sure to download that. And you can get that at ASPCA.org backslash pet care backslash animal poison control backslash APCC mobile app. So just Google it. You'll be able to find it. It's totally free. All right. The next thing I wanted to talk about are those bad neighbors who give out little boxes of raisins. We want chocolate. We want candy. We, we don't want anything healthy. So if a dog gets into raisins that someone gives out, or maybe a cat gets into it, what do we need to know about raisin poisoning in that Halloween trick-or-treat bag? Yeah, so raisins are a definite no-no for dogs. Uh, for cats, we still don't recommend them, but we really have had very few cat cases. And what happens with raisins when animals get into them, especially dogs, is that they can actually cause kidney failure. Now, when dogs get into the box of raisins, they don't always develop signs right away. A lot of times they will be acting completely normal for a couple of days or so. And then um, usually by about day two or three, they start to lose their appetite. They'll start to vomit. And then when they get taken into a vet clinic, it'll show evidence on blood work that they are in kidney failure. The tricky thing that we run into with raisins is that we really don't know exactly how many it takes to be a problem. The toxin is unknown. Uh, there have been people that have, have studied raisins and grapes, and they've not been able to identify what the toxin is that causes the problem. But we definitely know that, that when a dog gets into a box of raisins, we're usually recommending seeking um, at least some veterinary advice on, on what to do with that. Cats, as I mentioned before, cats are usually little less likely to, to have kidney effects. Again, we've only had just a couple of cases in the number of years that we've known about raisins causing kidney effects. Um, but we usually do tend to watch them a little closer too. So if they start to show the same signs that we see in dogs, so decreased appetite, if they start to vomit within a day or two of getting into the raisins, we would usually recommend going in as well. Now, that being said, when we've looked back through our cases, we really haven't seen cases that just one or two raisins have been a problem. It's usually if they get into a larger number. So if a dog gets into a box, that's where we're, we're starting to, to get a little bit more worried about that patient. Do you mind repeating, is there a toxic dose for raisins that we need to know about? So the toxic dose has not been determined. Usually, if it's just more than one or two raisins in a dog, we're typically recommending uh, seeking veterinary advice on that or doing some form of, of decontamination if that's appropriate for the patient. 
decontamination. Is there anything a cat owner can give at home if they think their cat ate something poisonous? Or what do you recommend doing? Yeah, so for cats, I usually prefer to send cats into a vet clinic. When we have cats at home, they don't generally tend to respond very well. So in dogs, we may use hydrogen peroxide to try to make a dog vomit. And again, it depends on your dog's size and health condition, whether that's recommended. Uh, but in cats, we find that a lot of cats actually will have very severe ulcers uh, that develop in their digestive tract from hydrogen peroxide. So we don't usually recommend trying to make a cat vomit at home. What about a dog? Now, I do see a lot of misinformation on the internet. So you do always have to be careful when it comes to inducing vomiting in dogs. There are some times where ASPCA or your veterinarian may recommend it, but do you mind just telling us when do we actually induce emesis, which is the same thing as vomiting, and how could a dog owner do it, knowing that cat owners can't do it at home? Is there anything dog owners can do? Yeah, absolutely. So when it's appropriate to make your dog vomit, and again, that's that's determined based on your pet's health condition, what the pet got into, how long ago your pet got into it, and then at the recommendation of your veterinarian or a veterinary poison control center, you can make your dog vomit. And the only safe thing to use at home to make a dog vomit would be hydrogen peroxide. Now, keep in mind, we don't just give the entire bottle to the dog. Uh, that <laughs> definitely could be a problem. So we usually base the dose of the hydrogen peroxide on your pet's body weight. So when it's appropriate to do so, this is something that you can do at home. But again, it usually has to be within one to two hours for many toxins. And in some cases, the toxins act very quickly. So it may be better just to go ahead and take your pet into a vet clinic for decontamination. But when we are doing it, we can repeat it once. And if the second round is not effective, then usually that's when we're, we're discussing the next steps or the next options there. When we're giving hydrogen peroxide, we're only using the 3%. It comes in the brown bottle and it says first aid antiseptic solution on it. It says do not ingest. And the reason for that is because it could actually make you have some upset stomach. It, I've tasted it before. It tastes absolutely terrible. So I can see why dogs end up vomiting with it. But it's not recommended for people to take internally just for topical use. But for dogs, we do use 3% hydrogen peroxide to induce vomiting. It does need to be a fresh bottle. If it's expired, it would be probably something that would be wise to keep in your first aid kit as a fresh bottle or, or an unexpired bottle to use. And then um, what it does is it will cause some stomach irritation to make dogs vomit. So when we're thinking of reasons why not to make a dog vomit, again, if it's something that's not likely to be life-threatening, we don't make a dog vomit. Um, if your pet has any health issues, things like heart disease or seizures or any digestive tract issues like megasophagus, we definitely would not recommend making a pet vomit at home in those conditions either. Other reasons why we, we might not make a pet vomit is um, the pets that have the brachycephalic faces. So the smushed in breed faces where we've got like pugs or Pekingese or, or dogs like that. A lot of times they'll have a condition called elongated soft palate where their soft palate can interfere with their ability to gag properly. And so we don't want to make those pets vomit at home because they can actually get some of that vomit down into their lungs. So there are definitely things that we consider when we're making a dog vomit, but if it's safe to do so, we often do do that at home. Wonderful. We'll continue with this really important Halloween topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Do you have an accident-prone dog or cat? Well, if your dog or cat goes into the ER for an emergency, it's often unexpected and can be expensive. Well, here's something that can help. 
USO is a community-based cost-sharing health coverage plan for pets. Community is at the heart of USO, where members commit to help one another when their pets have unexpected health needs. USO isn't an insurance or a provider, but it's a platform that allows members to share expenses together safely and secretly. So what's part of USO's secret sauce? Complete transparency on where their users' money is going. USO members pay a flat subscription fee, $17 a month, plus a portion of shareable expenses. That flat subscription fee covers the use of the platform. And the monthly shareable expenses, which will never exceed $48 a month, will vary depending on how many expenses are submitted by the group that month. Save over 80% compared to traditional pet insurance by paying a flat subscription fee. For more information, go to USO.com. That's E-U-S-O-H dot com. Use promo code PETLIFE and get your first two months free at USO.com. E-U-S-O-H dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Dot com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. We're talking to Dr. Hayes, who's a medical director at the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. And I know that the ASPCA and veterinary clinics around the United States see a huge spike in chocolate poisoning during the week of Halloween. And since Halloween's coming up, we wanted to be able to advise you on some of the biggest poisons that I want you to be aware of. So, so far, Dr. Hayes has talked about food poisons like chocolate, with the chemical theobromine, raisins, which can cause kidney failure in dogs. Now, one of the next poisons that you had mentioned are glow sticks. So this is glow jewelry, you know, those plastic little tubes that you snap together and they make your kid glow in the dark. This is actually really good because it makes cars see your kids while they're trick-or-treating. But we do see that cats end up biting into these. Cats are so curious. So Dr. Hayes, what happens and what exactly is in glow jewelry that causes an issue? Is this something that's life-threatening? Is there antifreeze in there? Is this dangerous chemicals? Or is it something that can potentially be managed at home? Yeah, most cases of glow jewelry ingestion actually can be managed at home. Um, So what happens when animals chew into them is that they have this very bitter substance in it that will cause a taste reaction. So a lot of times when, when cats especially chew into these, they get that very bitter taste in their mouth and they will start to have a very dramatic taste reaction. They'll start to froth at the mouth. They'll start to foam. They'll start to retch. They, a lot of times, will run around and shake their head a lot and and shake saliva um, off to the side as well. And it's really just, it's very scary when you see it, but it's just a taste reaction. They might also have a little bit of glass into them when you bend them to activate the colorant. There are some of the glow jewelry will have little glass vials in there. And so when those are cracked open, in theory, there could be a problem. We really haven't seen any issues with that. We tend to see more issues when dogs swallow like the entire glow stick and then the outer plastic casing of the entire stick is actually a problem because it 
it's not digestible and so it can get stuck. But when animals chew into these glow sticks, as I said, they have a very, very dramatic taste reaction. They'll run, they'll go hide under the bed. And then the other thing that we uh, sometimes will see happening is that when they, they chew into these, sometimes it'll leak out onto their fur too. And so after they get over that initial taste reaction where they're frothing and foaming at the mouth, they might have a recurrence of that taste reaction again if we haven't removed it all from their fur. So the neat thing about glow jewelry is that when animals break into it, it does activate the coloring. And so if you put them in a room that's dark or uh, put them in a room and turn off the lights, you can actually see on their fur where the glow material still is on their fur. And we would recommend bathing to wash that off. You can use either a dish soap with a little bit of water on it. I find that you do actually need to use soap. Water alone doesn't tend to remove it very effectively, but basically just turn the lights back on, wash off their fur where you found it, turn the lights back off, make sure you've gotten it all off their fur. Um, and then once they've once they've had all that removed, they won't have a reoccurrence of that taste reaction again. Now with that taste reaction, there are a few things that you can do at home to help with that. You notice that your pet chewed into a, a glow jewelry stick, a glow jewelry or glow stick. You may want to try offering a, something that's a little tastier. So either milk or ice cream, a lot of pets do like basically regular ice cream would be fine. Sometimes you could do a little bit of wet cat food or wet dog food as well, just to try to help get that bad taste out of their mouth. Now, if they're actually vomiting and they're vomiting more than a few times, you may need to actually keep all water and food away for a short period of time, no more than 30 to 60 minutes or so, just to let the stomach settle down. But again, if you can still rinse out the mouth, it definitely helps get that taste reaction over a little faster. I also found Dawn liquid dish soap is so helpful to have in your pet first aid kit because yeah. so many of those oily chemicals or weird flea and tick medications that may accidentally be put on a cat, we can bathe them off by using something like a degreasing soap or a really, really safe liquid dish soap like Dawn. So great point to have. All right. You also brought up slime. What exactly is slime? What's in it? And how big of a deal is it if my dog or my cat takes a couple of licks or a couple of bites. So slime can have a lot of different things in it, actually. Most of the slime that's made by people, you know, if you make it in your home, it'll be a combination of some saline solution. Some people use shaving cream. Sometimes you can use, so usually they'll have shaving cream, glue, saline solution. There's usually a little bit of baking soda in there as well. Um, and so one of the problems that we can see with that is that if, if a pet's eating eating more than just taking a few licks of it, it, it sometimes can actually cause the sodium levels in the blood to increase. And what happens when a dog does that or a cat does that is that they will have a condition called hypernatremia. When they get that condition, they will show nervous system signs. So they'll start to act wobbly. They can actually have muscle tremors. Sometimes they can become very, very listless or lethargic laying around. They often will have some vomiting as well, which can cause them to become dehydrated as well. So usually with most slime, um, the size containers that are going to be given away at Halloween time are not as big a deal. But if you've got a, a pet at home that gets into a very large bowl of it, I know my, my kids love making slime at home. So if they get into a large bowl of it, uh, depending on how much baking soda that they've used in the, the formulation, uh, depending on, again, there are a number of different recipes out there for homemade slime. Now, the commercial slime, uh, most of the time, they don't list the ingredients in them. It's just considered to be non-toxic. And 
again, we we sometimes have seen issues. We we tend to see more issues with Play-Doh than we do with slime with the commercial products. So, but even regular slime can also cause some upset stomach. So vomiting can be seen with all forms of slime. Diarrhea potentially could be seen too. But the bigger concern with some of the homemade products is depending on how much salt is in there, the saline solution, the like baking soda, things like that. We can actually see some concerns for the sodium that's in there. All right, fantastic information from Dr. Hayes. Again, as Halloween approaches, please make sure to keep the Halloween container and the Halloween candy out of reach. There are huge spikes in chocolate poisoning that the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center gets inundated with. And I know in the emergency room at the ER vet, I end up inducing vomiting in a lot of dogs that got into chocolate. So please make sure to keep your Halloween candy out of reach. Keep those raisins out of reach, the slime, that glow jewelry. Dr. Hayes, any last tips on how to pet proof to avoid any kind of accidental exposure? I would say the big thing is to keep the chocolate up away from your pet and make sure that you know where the glow jewelry is when you've got it out. One last thing I wanted to mention about chocolate too is that there are sugar-free candies out there that have xylitol in them. Um, Xylitol is a sugar alternative that can cause low blood sugar and can cause liver failure when, when dogs get into too much of it. So another thing to be aware of. So if you've got labels, make sure you know where your labels are have a pet first aid kit. Um, so if you have a pet first aid kit that you've developed, or if you want to put one together, there are definitely resources on the ASPCA website on how to make a, a pet first aid kit. Usually hydrogen peroxide would be a good thing to include in there. Dawn dish detergent would be a good thing to include in there as well. Um, but yeah, make sure that, that you keep the chocolate up out of reach for the dogs. And, and if you've got kids at home, make sure that, that the kids know not to leave their chocolate sitting out on the floor. I know a lot of kids like to make individual piles and, and see what kinds they got. Make sure that they clean it up afterwards. Again, make sure to keep that chocolate out of reach. And when in doubt, I always tell people, please pre-program your cell phone with your veterinarian, your ER vet, and the ASPCA Animal Poison Control phone number. That way, if you're in the middle of an emergency, you don't have to frantically look it up. ASPCA Animal Poison Control's number is 888-426-4435. And as Dr. Hayes mentioned, they have great information on how to create a pet first aid kit, a pet poisoning first aid kit. And again, you can also check out their website for the APCC, Animal Poison Control Center, mobile app. Again, that's totally free. My goal is to make you the best pet owner advocate for your dog and cat. Well, Dr. Hayes, thank you so much for joining us today. For my pleasure. That brings us to the end of today's show. If you have any questions, email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com. Or you can find me at drjustinelee.com on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee. And with that, we want to thank Dr. Hayes again and Mark Winter, our producer, for making the show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.